Donald Trump called him tough. Rush Limbaugh read one of his articles live on his radio show. Ann Coulter tweeted that article to her one and a half million followers and declared, every sentence is perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, former chief editor of the Jewish Press, Elliot Resnick. Welcome to the Elliot Resnick Show. As some of you already know, I was arrested last month in relation to my activities on January 6, 2021. I can't really talk about my case, but if you're curious, you can Google my name and learn its general outline. Why do I mention this issue? First, so that you'll understand why you haven't heard from me in a month. Second, so that you'll understand why, from now on, episodes of this podcast will be released less frequently and will focus on Jewish and intellectual topics rather than hot-button political ones. When I'm not working on this podcast, I will henceforth be concentrating on publishing my PhD dissertation on Congressman Saul Bloom, which I wrote in 2020 and 2021. Saul Bloom was the most powerful Jew in Congress during the Holocaust and helped save the Garrett Rebbe's life. Many Holocaust historians criticize Bloom for not doing more to save Jews from Hitler's inferno. But I think their criticism is at least partially unfair, and I hope my book will help set the record straight. The truth is that the question of Bloom's moral guilt during the Holocaust is closely tied to the question of FDR's moral guilt during the Holocaust and the question of the moral guilt of American Jewry during this time period. And I hope my book will shed light on these controversial questions as well. I will, of course, share many more details with you when the book is out. All right, now for this week's interview. There is nothing more disgusting than falsehood. So writes the Sefer HaChinuch in the 13th century. If all of us took this comment to heart, our politics, newspapers, and personal lives would take on an entirely different character. But telling the truth isn't terribly popular nowadays, hence the need for an organization like the Sfas Tamim Foundation, which was founded three years ago to promote honesty. Joining us this evening is Baruch Delman, the organization's director. Baruch, the Torah, as you know, contains at least two interesting expressions in relation to truth. In Sefer Shemos, Hashem warns us, Midvar Shekhar Tirchak, stay far away from falsehood which is an unusual exhortation. I don't think there's another vice in the entire Torah that Hashem tells us to stay far away from. The other expression I have in mind is in the Gemara, which states that Chosomo Shel HaKadosh Baruch Emes, the seal of Hashem is truth. Have you come across any interesting explanations of these two expressions? In what way is Hashem's seal truth? And why, of all things, does the Torah tell us to distance ourselves from falsehood? So those are good questions. You know, you mentioned the Sefer HaChinuch. He does talk about Midvar Shekhar Tirchak and why specifically by MS, by being truthful more than other things, there's a specific exhortation to stay far away from a false matter. And if you look at the text over there, he says, Merov Miuso, which literally translates to because it's so gross, it's so disgusting. And to your point, I think if people take that to heart and really realize that falsehood is you know, something that really should be repulsive to people, that's the reason why the Torah told people to stay far away from it. Whereas other things may be bad, but don't have the same character, the same repulsiveness as Shekhar does. So in terms of the seal of Hashem being MS, I think that's Shutu Kamashmo. Hashem's seal is MS, means Hashem is truth. Everything that Hashem does is truth. So I think it's Reb Simcha Bionim and Peshischa. I think Reb Torsky quoted this. You know, Hashem created the world with MS. So if you look at the first few words of the Torah, Barashas Bar Elohim, the last letters of those first three words are, Voracious is tough, Bara is Aleph, and Elohim is Mem. And if you unscramble those words, you get to MS. And if you look at the last Pasuk, at the sort of the end of creation, it says, So 
So, so if you look at the last three words of creation, Vara is Aleph, the last letter of Elohim. Mem, again, Lasos is tough. In that instance, you don't even need to unscramble the letters. Vara, Aleph, Elohim, Mem, and Lasos is tough. MS. So the beginning of creation, the end of creation, everything in between, Hashem did with MS. You know, um, when somebody authors something and they sign their name at the end of it, that's really becomes their essence. I think it's also important for people to take to heart that Hashem is MS and we have our neshamas. Hashem is a chelak elokis, right? It's a piece of Hashem. And if we're not honest with ourselves, if we're not honest with our fellow man, if we're not honest in business, it hurts our neshama. It's antithetical to our neshama because Hashem is MS. Our neshama is a piece of Hashem, which also makes it MS. And we're not being truthful. We're actually hurting our neshamas. Okay, this is not the nicest question in the world, but I think it occurs to many people that in from circles, I don't think you'll ever really hear someone casually suggest breaking Shabbos or skipping Tefillin one morning or cursing one's parents or mistreating a 90-year-old woman. Yet you will have people who are otherwise from just casually suggest lying to get out of a situation or, I don't know, just in, without even thinking twice, they don't even know you. They just sort of suggest it as if you wouldn't object to it. How do you explain such behavior? Um, I think there's two things going on there. My friend has a great book. It's called Listen to Your Messages. And there's a specific article in Listen to Your Messages that talks about MS. And uh, one of the things that he says in there is that he knows a certain Rosh Shiva that a congregant came to him and asked, I come from a large and prestigious family, learned family, Talmud Chacham Yari Shemayim, but I don't really see much nachas from my children. But yeah, here's this simple Yid that you and I, Rosh Shiva, we both know you know, he doesn't know much, but he keeps what he does, and his children are all gems. So what's what's going on over there? And uh, the Rashiva answered, he said, in your family, you come from Holocaust survivors and, you know, came to this country, broken people. And to make ends meet, you know, you had to scrap your hue or your parents had to scrap and scrape and perhaps bend certain rules to make it in the, in the world. And perhaps your children picked up on that, picked up on the way that you... You act with certain people, you deal with certain people, and perhaps the rules that may be bent or the way certain commitments may not always be kept because that's what you needed to to basically make it. And your children picked up on that, and that's why maybe you don't see the same nachas that, that this other simple Jew saw who's honest and sincere and couldn't break a rule if he tried. And children pick up on that as well. So I, I think, and I mean, that's a story that just goes back from the New World, Holocaust survivors. But I think it's maybe even a little bit longer than that in terms of our history, where because of prejudice and mistreatment throughout the Doros, I think Yidin to some extent have had to perhaps bend a rule here or there in order to make it, so to speak. And I think when it comes to the United States, where that really isn't the case, it's just sort of a holdover, so to speak. So I think that's one thing that's going on. I think another thing that's going on is just education. It's a lack of study of halacha, and it's, I think it's a lack of study of Musar in these areas. The name of our foundation is Svastamim Foundation. I don't know how many people have heard of the Svastamim, but the Svastamim is a contrast written by the Chavetz Chaim. And in the contrast, he has, I think maybe five or six parakim about the importance of MS, the Rov Miuso, as we said before, of Sheker. He talks about the reasons for people lying and people stealing and some of the consequences of those actions. He talks about being wholesome and the importance of that. And he talks about the great reward for MS, and he talks about the punishments for falsehood. So there's a Musar aspect of that that people need to learn. I don't know if people do. You know, people learn the Archa Sadiqim, hopefully, obviously a very famous uh, Musar work. There's a Shara MS in there. There's a Shara Shekhar in there that, you know, that people need to uh, to really learn. You know, Musar Bispilus. There's a lot of great Halacha Svarim out there. There's the Titan Amos Liakov. There's other people's money. 
there's living with honesty and there's our own, we, our foundation puts out a newsletter every week. It's tied to the Parsha. So every week we have a Dvar Torah on the Parsha that relates to MS. We have a story that's inspiring. We have a Dvar Halacha in there that related to MS. And we also have the aforementioned Svas Tamim, where we go through chapter by chapter and translate the Svas Tamim. So there's a lot out there that I think people would be well advised to really look at and really learn. Okay, so someone just goes to your website, they click on subscribe, they'll get it in their email box. Absolutely. So if you go to everydayms.org, there's a subscribe button, you get it free every week in your email. It usually comes out Wednesday night or Thursday night. You know, MS is a great equalizer. Everybody appreciates MS, whether a person's from, not so from, not from at all. It's something that everybody can appreciate, and it's something that's important for ourselves, and it's something that's important that our children should see. I heard a joke years ago, which sounds anti-Hasidic, but I heard it from a Hasid, so... And he was telling it actually to berate some young, like 20-year-old Bakram who thought they were being very clever, repeating stories which were not fully honest. So I guess to put them in their place, he said, it's probably not a true story, it's a joke, whatever it is. He said the two Hasidim came to the Rebbe and said, we're about to cross the border. When they asked us how old we are, should we say we're older than we really are or younger than we really are? And the Rebbe said, why don't you just tell them the truth? And they stood there and said, oh, we actually never thought about doing that. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's strange to me. I mean, I get what you're saying, maybe just historical, but... Yeah. No, I agree. It's funny. I've heard that joke before. But I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think, you know, there's a certain historical context there because you didn't, unfortunately, throughout the doors have had to, to do things, say certain things just to survive. So I think that's sort of a holdover from those generations. You know, it's really not necessary today. And, you know, Midvar Shekhar Terchok, right? According to the Chafetz Chaim, that's a Doraisa and it applies in all manners and circumstances that a person's not allowed to lie. Um, this question is going to be a little bit long, so just bear with me. But um, I don't know if you've been following developments in the world of artificial intelligence. But a company founded by Elon Musk now has an AI, artificial intelligence, that you can interact with. And many people find it creepy because, among other things, this AI is apparently programmed to lie, which is bizarre. We always usually think of robots as being the ultimate truth tellers. They take every single one of our words hyper literally. This AI does not. But I'm raising this topic for a different reason. Elon Musk said he may start a new AI company since the one that's now everyone's using, he's no longer in charge of that one. And he's afraid that the people currently operating the company that he founded may create an AI or this one that they've already created. It actually might ultimately harm or even annihilate humanity. Now, people think this is a crazy idea. And I used to think it's crazy also. It's like only science fiction. But actually, the more you think about it, it actually is possible because what they do for these AI is not just a robot. They program the AI to learn by itself and to grow smarter by itself. So if one day the AI learns that staying alive is the most important thing and he realizes one second a human being could unplug me from the wall, he might take steps to prevent human beings from unplugging him. He can hack his own system controlling him. He can electronically clock the doors to the room housing him. He can get a hold of the nuclear codes. An AI could, in theory, do also all sorts of things. And remember, he has all the world information at his disposal. It's connected to the internet. So we're talking about a robot that is much smarter than us and that's programmed to learn past what we program it to do. So it's not completely out of this world. It's actually, it could be sort of realistic. Anyways, on to my question. Musk said that he may create a new AI company, and how is he going to prevent this AI from being harmful? He'll prevent it from being harmful by programming the AI to search and seek the truth at all costs. And he said that's the ultimate guarantee that the AI won't harm humans. And when he said that, I thought that was very interesting, because in other words, implicit in what he's saying is, is that there's a strong almost unbreakable link between goodness and truth-telling, that any robot that only seeks truth will ultimately never harm humans because there is, again, an unbreakable bond between goodness and truth and honesty. I'm wondering what your thoughts were on that. 
That's a good question. I mean, I think I think by the answer, I may take that in a slightly different direction. Sure, go ahead. I don't know if it's um, the connection between truth and goodness per se that may be going on there, but it could be a, a connection between truth and hakarasatov. So one of the things that we're exhorted to do is to count our blessings, so to speak, and to realize that everything comes from Hashem, and that Hashem is the, the ultimate good, the ultimate benefactor, and that's how we grow to appreciate Hashem and appreciate our lives and all of our brachos. And that's true. It's being truthful and seeing the world with the right glasses on. And it could be what's going on there is, is that if you program a robot to be completely truthful, it realizes who its creator is, and it realizes that its creator is man, and he owes a debt of gratitude to the man that created him. So therefore, he wouldn't be able to do any harm to the creator in gratitude and Akarasatova being put alive, so to speak, and created by this man to begin with, perhaps. No, that's an interesting answer. All right, next question. When you sign up for any service now, not any service, many services nowadays, you're asked to check a box that states that you have read and understood the following conditions, and it's a complicated user's agreement. In the very beginning, I used to try to read a little portion of it because I don't want to press, I accept that I've read it, so I haven't really read it. But over time, you know, these things get longer and longer. And even if you try to read it, you don't really understand it. But yet you have to check this box saying, I've read and accepted these user conditions, and I understand these user conditions. And if you don't sign that box, you can't really get a cell phone. You can't, you can't do a lot of things that, that people nowadays consider necessary to live in the modern world. I mean, I suppose you could live without a computer, without, without a cell phone, but it would be kind of hard. So so should we avoid signing these the deals? Should we feel guilty about signing them? Or are we not really lying because everyone really knows that checking the box doesn't really mean we've read and understood the conditions? So that's a great question. You know, and I think that question kind of illustrates um, illustrates a couple of points. And I think the first point is halacha, right? So what's the halacha in that particular case? And then there's also the Midos portion of that response. And I think MS is like that, right? MS, there's, there's a significant body halacha that governs MS. And then there's also the Midas HaMS, you know, being truthful, to some extent connected to halacha, but to some extent apart from halacha. And I think your question kind of illustrates that. So from a halacha perspective, you need to ask your local Orthodox rabbi. I mean, it's likely that the local Orthodox rabbi will say, you know, the company themselves probably doesn't really expect you to read that and understand that per se. They're doing it from a legal perspective. And if you told them, by the way, I'm checking this box. I really didn't read and understand it, but don't worry. I agree to be bound by all its terms. I think they would probably be okay with that. So there, there's one aspect, but each person should ask their own Shiloh. Or we have a uh, MS Halacha hotline as well for these types of Shilas. So that's 718-200-5462. So people do call. And who answers those questions? The row who answers those questions is Rabbi Aryeh Sokolov of the Big Shul in Kew Gardens. Actually, he's okay. actually retiring moving to Eretz Israel, but he's still handling the hotline in Eretz Hashem. And you, you ask your Shaila, you don't have to leave your name, but usually you ask your Shaila just in a broad way. I typically take a listen to the Shaila and then I forward it over to the Rav, who typically gets back between 24 and 48 hours with an answer or not necessarily an answer, but he'll call you back so you can discuss the Shaila in a little bit more detail and then the Rav can give an answer. So I suspect there would be an answer given like that. But having said that, there's a Musser and Midos angle of that as well. So there's a famous story in the... Um, by Menachem Manus Mandel's that's all book in the Art Scroll book, where Menachem Manus was going into a, in his older years, he was going into a particular surgery, not, not really a dangerous surgery, but kind of an everyday type of surgery. And just as you said, right, the doctors kind of put some pieces of paper in front of him, you know, uh, legal agreements and disclosures and sign here, sign here, sign here that you read and understood everything. And uh, his son, Rabbi Yaakov Mandel, was looking over his father's shoulder and he's, he's just taking a long time. And when he sees Menachemana sort of pouring over the small print and get, just getting agitated, 
And Rabbi Yaakov Mandel, his son says, what, you know, Tata, what's going on? Why are you, you know, the, are you nervous about the surgery? Are you scared? This is fairly routine surgery. He goes, I'm not scared from the surgery, but I'm scared from the bonus shalom. Because I see at the bottom here, I have to sign my name that I've read and understood everything. So there is, so to speak, a level to shoot for that certain Gedolim had. Now, of course, I suspect that's not the everyday halacha for everyday people. But there is a concept out there of being, you know, completely honest and truthful to the best of your ability from Mido's perspective. So perhaps... If one has the opportunity, if one's signing up for something, and perhaps the legal jargon is not that thick or dense, and the, the contract is not 10 pages, but it's a short paragraph or two, maybe there is a concept of kind of reading through it and makes you understand it before you check the box, just for your own midos, so a person shouldn't accustom themselves to doing things that are not completely honest. I really enjoyed that story. I was wondering, as we're closing this interview here, are there any other stories that come to mind that are particularly dear to your heart on the Midas AMS? <laughs> That's a great question. Now, there's obviously a number of them. So, uh, but I think um, I'm actually going to tell maybe a personal story. And this is a, um, it's a story that lies at the intersection between MS and Kiddush Hashem. I, I hesitate to tell the story because I think some people get the idea that it's important to be emistic because it makes a Kiddush Hashem. Well, well, that's true. It's important to be emistic because it's important to be emistic. And Kiddush Hashem, I mean, the Nebra Minska Rebbe Zetzal said that. It's important to be an Ish Emes because it's important to be an Ish Emes. If a Kiddush Hashem happens, that's the cherry on top. But a person shouldn't get the wrong idea that you're truthful because it makes a Kiddush Hashem. Whether it does or it doesn't, a person needs to be emistic. So the story goes like this, and it's a personal story with a family member of mine. This family member, you know, was a regular balabas in the working world. And yeah, we happened to be selling a car, a used car. And he found out that his boss was looking for a used car. So we'll call him David, well, David in the workforce. So his boss said, hey, David, you know, I'm looking to buy a used car. I heard you're, you're selling a used car. Well, what kind of condition is, is the car in? So David said, no, I think it's, it runs pretty well. You know, it's in good shape. And the boss said, okay, I'll take it. And David looked at his boss like flabbergasted. You'll take it. It's a used car. You know, you know, it's five, 10 years old. You'll like, test drive the car, you know, kick the tires a little bit. You're going to take the car sight unseen, so to speak, it's a used car. So the boss said, you know, David, if you say that the car is in good condition, I can trust that. And I'm going to buy the car sight unseen. And to my understanding is uh, the boss actually had a pretty good experience with the car. It's an aspirational story because it, it's a story of MS and it's obviously a story of Kiddush Hashem. But it's a story that in order for somebody to develop that reputation, a person has to be consistently MS in all matters, small or large. So I imagine, and here's where the intersection to Kedesh Hashem, I imagine the way that was ultimately able to happen where the boss was able to buy from his firm worker a used car sight unseen was that you know, every day when this David went to work, he made a Kedesh Hashem. Uh, he was truthful, he was honest and ethical in large ways and in small ways. And that makes an impression. And there may not have been ever a moment where the boss said, wow, David, you're an honest person. Um, but all those, we'll, we'll call those micro, you know, they say microaggressions and, you know, in the model world, we'll call those micro MS moments or micro Kiddush Hashem. So all those micro MS moments, know those micro Kiddush Hashem moments over a number of years made a certain impression on, I don't think the boss was Jewish, uh, but made a certain impression on the boss. And ultimately to such an extent where when it came time for it to matter, the boss said, Mi Yisrael to David, you're from person, what you say is true. And based on that, I can buy a used car off for you, say it unseen. So it's a story that's dear to my heart because I think it's something that we all need to go. You know, if you go over to a from person and you ask him where kosher places to eat and he tells you a certain place and you're new to the neighborhood, you don't know, you know, most from people will, will trust that person. And to them, to a large extent, that's pretty reliable. Um, 
I think we need to get to a place like that with MS, where if you go over to a front person, you ask them a question, whatever question you ask them, and they give you their word, you can take that to the bank. In the same way that you eat at a kosher restaurant that a front person recommends, the same way you should trust them when they have a business deal for you. Or uh, when they tell you something and when they, or when they make a commitment to you, because I, that's why the story is near my heart. Cause I think it's an aspirational thing that we all need to aim and shoot for. So I interviewed you for the Jewish press three years ago, approximately at the time you told me this was towards the beginning of, of your organization. At the time you told me that you had hopes or plans to maybe make curricula for schools. Like I remember when I was in elementary school, there was like a Derek Eretz curriculum. And also you said like maybe like signs, just like there's signs, don't speak Lashon Hara means signs of merit, tell the truth. And that happens. That's still in the plans. And it's still in the plans. You know, I think we're getting there specifically with the signs. So we already have a prototype, so to speak, that we've developed for the signs. Because the actual Arthur Sadiqam actually recommends doing that. So can't take credit for that idea. If you look at Shara Emes, he says, Tadr Tassim A person should always place Emes in front of them. And he says quite literally that a person should write Bixav in writing a sign for themselves. And they should take it to work. And they should have it by their kind of their dining room table. And they should take it when they learn to make sure to always tell the truth. So we are still working on that. We have a prototype for that. Right now, I think our focus is we want to expand the reach of our newsletter, frankly. We have a couple, we have, I want to say we have about, I don't want to exaggerate our numbers here. I have to be careful. So I want to say we have roughly 820 subscribers to our newsletter. Uh, and we have our newsletter distributed across Shoals and Queens and certain other places in Lakewood and Edison in certain, certain areas in the five towns. But we're really working on you know extending the reach of our newsletter really throughout North America. I think also in the future, we would like to, you know, we talked about education. You know, MS is something that people need to hear about. Balabatim need to hear about. We're hopeful that we'll be able to reach a number of influential Rabbanim across North America. You know, I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, and the Rav that I grew up uh, with was Rabbi Kalman Winter, Zetzal, and he had certain common refrains that so resonate with me. He would obviously talk about many things in his, his speeches, but there were certain common refrains, and, and one of them was Msorah. As an example, it's important to have a Rebbe. It's a person to be hooked into to a Masora so people stay grounded in how they how they do things, how they see things, etc. And it's important. I, I think you know one of our aspirational goals for the foundation is to talk to Rabbanim across the country and into Canada to make MS one of the common refrains in Russia. So talking about tshuva, we're talking about bitachon, we're talking about staka, we're talking about learning, we're talking about chesed. But something in there should, there should be an MS every, every, let's say every one to two months, you know, as part of a speech or a devourator to work in MS. And I think that's good. It goes a long way, you know, because there is an education aspect here, as we talked about, you know, the foundation believes very strongly in Klyosrol, you know, Klyosrol is very strong in so many different things in their dedication to learning and their dedication to chesed and their dedication in Stockholm. And I think this is a matter of education. It's a matter of inspiration. Uh, education, inspiration, or Rabbanim had that power. They're in positions of influence to be able to influence the congregants. That's another thing that we're going to be working on. It's a show. And as, as you're speaking, also, it just occurs to me that if someone is super truthful, it's, I think, much harder to do the wrong thing. Because if you really believe that Shem told you to do X, Y, and Z, often you have to lie to yourself at least a little bit. Because you have to say, well, yeah, he said it, but you have to lie to yourself a little bit. If you really face the truth, he said it, I'm now going to ignore what he said. It's hard to live with that. So I guess if you're a super truthful person, I think you also want to be a better person, want to doing the correct thing more often than otherwise. Absolutely. And this is a, we call it a foundational meetup, right? It's a person that has an emistic foundation. Things sort of sprout from that. If a person at their core is not emistic, it's very hard. It's like building a building on a shaky foundation is what you're doing if you don't have that foundational meetup. The Archa Sadiqim says in Sharem, he says, the greatest mila that somebody can have is speaking truth. 
then then maybe that's shot, right? You speak the truth and that sets you up for success in so many different areas with so many other meatballs. All right. It was really a pleasure and an honor to speak with you this evening. And uh, I'll put a link to the, to subscribe to the newsletter in the episode description. So I'll make it a little Great. bit easier for people. And uh, to you. Very good. Thank you so much, Elliot. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. That does it for us. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe to it. If you'd like to buy one of my books, visit 1vs450.com. That's 1vs450.com. And if you'd like to advertise on this podcast, please write to me at editor at 1vs450.com. Or you can write to me on Facebook or Twitter. I hope you enjoyed the episode and have a great day or a great night, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. <laughs>